Once again, for the Eyes Have It podcast with your hosts, Brent Hershey and me, Chris Blessing. Episode 12 is upon us. We're going to dig deep with some trade deadline content on today's show, while also covering the news that the Mets didn't sign their first round pick. And we'll check in with Brent, who was out and about last week, scouting some Yankee prospects. But first, what's going on, Brent? Uh, not too much. It's a good uh, Monday evening here as we record. A little cooler in the Northeast, at least for a couple of days. And uh, we are enjoying the uh, cooler summer weather here while we have it. How about you? How are things going? Well, same type of weather here. I guess a little bit hotter, but it's much cooler. Uh, it's only humid here today, not uh, a sauna outside. So very great day. Uh, other than that, I'm just really busy preparing for my baseball trip in 10 days. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go to the Tampa area to cover some low A and uh, complex level prospects. And I have a plan to cover some pretty big name guys, uh, Orvelis uh, Martinez of the Jays and uh, yeah. Jason uh, Dominguez of the Yankees, who you saw in the Futures game, uh, yeah. are two of the guys I'm hoping to get to. I'm going to see Dundon versus St. Lucie. I'm also going to see Tampa versus Clearwater. So I'll get some Phillies looks. I don't know how that team's looking, but I'll get to see some Phillies prospects. Yeah, no, there's some guys down there. Uh, Micabell, of course, is the big name. Uh, their first round pick from 2020, uh, depending how that rotation falls. Um, but yeah, there's some other, there's some other young international guys down there too. So uh, you'll definitely have good material between those several games you get in. Yes, and uh, on the on the complex side, Trey Sweeney, the first round pick of the Yankees, is already in game, so I'll go yeah. hopefully get to see him as well. So I'll, I'll have two games of the of the both low A matchups, and then uh, I'll be at the complex of the Yankees one day and the complex of the uh, Blue Jays another day. So I'll have uh, some pretty good coverage, hopefully, on on those prospects. That's super. Well. We'll look forward to that for sure. Just want to remind, remind you that the eyes have it. It was brought to you by BaseballHQ.com. Subscription gets you all of our team's work, including firsthand scouting reports, call-up profiles, daily projections updates, projection playing time changes, skills profiles, strategy articles, everything geared to help you win your fantasy league. Uh, Chris has an article up today on Monday about the uh, top 20 traded prospects from the past week or so, which is always interesting to, to read uh, prospects change in hands as, as uh, team, as fantasy teams are uh, scooping those up uh, depending on their roles. But uh, if you're looking to win your fantasy league, both for this year and the future, uh, you want to check out baseballhq.com slash subscribe. There's been actually a lot of great content on the side of late, uh, including Nick Richards article on, next year's hot prospects where he actually mentioned a pitcher uh, who was traded on the 30th, a guy named Peyton Battenfield. And yeah, right. Yeah. And for this article, I had to dig in uh, pretty deep uh, to find information about Mr. Battenfield. Uh, other than what was uh, printed in Nick's article, there's virtually nothing on that guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. so uh, come check out the article for, a, you know, a full, I wouldn't say a full scouting report, but a good, review of what that guy's all about some people have said that he's been mostly mid 90s this year which he's been averaging actually low 90s but as of late he's been mid 90s with his fastball so uh some good information some uh hopefully you guys get a lot out of that article and um while you're at it check out nick's article as well good well let's uh jump into our news and notes segment as you mentioned one of the interesting non-trade deadline uh, sort of headlines from the past several days uh, is the fact that the Mets first round pick Kumar Rocker, who we talked about several episodes back when we did our draft preview, uh, didn't get signed by the Mets. I think he was the only first round pick that didn't get signed by the August 1st deadline. And there was certainly lots of chatter in uh, Twitter and I'm sure across baseball land uh, when when that became apparent that he wasn't going to sign. 
I, I guess we'll just start off to you. I mean, were you surprised by that? Uh, sounds like a lot of folks in the industry were. Uh, he'll go back to school and pitch for Vanderbilt, I assume. Um, but what's your kind of what's your were you surprised and what's your take on uh, the Mets and Kumar Rocker? Well, the rumors had kind of come out from a, actually from a um, mesmerized uh, site uh, earlier this week who, who get a lot of scoops on, on various Met news items. I think they're actually part of the USA Today Sports Network, too. Uh, so a little shout out to them. But anyway, that there was something that was possibly found in a MRI of uh, Kumar's shoulder. Or elbow. I'm not 100% sure what it was. I I kind of uh, you know glanced over the news to be honest with you and uh, really kind of expected him to sign. And then uh, when the deadline came and, uh, and when I say the deadline, I mean the trade deadline. And when news came out that Jordan Lawler was signing with the the Diamondbacks and uh, Khalil Watson was signing with the Marlins. Uh, I forget who the other guy was uh, that signed late. However, uh, how- yeah, Freddie House, Freddie Nationals, House. I think, yeah. was the other one. Mm-hmm. When all those, so when the news came out that they all agreed and there was no Kumar Rocker news, that kind of, uh, at that point, really took it seriously that they weren't going to sign him. And I had an industry source tell me Saturday morning that it was like a 90% chance that they didn't sign him. And I think he only said 90 just to hedge a bit. Hmm. Reports came out, actually, that... Mets never actually offered Kumar Rocker a contract, which uh, oh. to me, if he was hurt, I would still have, you know, had tried to do that. I, I don't understand the rationale. I also saw a release where they basically said that, you know, through a source, of course, that Kumar Rocker could pitch in the major leagues today, but like they didn't want to handle, I guess, that investment in the player um, if he was going to get hurt in a few uh, few years. And And, and to yeah. me... Let's get a starting pitcher out there. They only have so many bullets. I mean, really? Yeah. Every pitcher yeah. has some sort of issue. So what, is the Mets never going to take a first rounder that's a pitcher again? I mean, I, I'm probably going to get on a soapbox here. And uh, I'm sure my friends Jeffrey and Jared on the on the Mets podcast through the Baseball Prospectus Network probably already went on a huge rant about this. Uh but, uh, you know, as a Mets fan uh, growing up, uh, I'm not really as much right now, but, uh, you know, this is something only the Mets would uh, pull off where uh, they they took a guy and then didn't sign him, but acknowledged that he could probably pitch in the big league tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you're you're kind of laughing about it, but it it is sort of baffling. I mean, that, uh, you know, that they, he fell to what, uh, number 11, I think, or 10 or 11? Uh, they 10, I'm sorry. They, so they took him there. Uh, everyone, you know, lauded them for, you know, taking, I mean, getting this guy that was falling, but then there's no sort of backup plan or they're, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a very odd sort of thing. Do you, do you think that, uh, his falling that far maybe had something to do with some of the other teams ahead of the Mets being a little wary uh, or do you think this was all kind of a did, did this all sort of happen after they selected him? I mean, the, the you know, the questions they would have about the medicals or whatever. From my understanding, Boris kind of pushed him to the mat. I know the Royals mm-hmm. had pretty big interest in him. The Royals went the route of saving some money on slot at that seventh pick. Uh, oh, most right. Everybody had him uh, mocked to number seven. But if he wasn't going seven, it was most likely he was going 10. You know, what, what's what's the biggest thing for me is, uh, you know, Kumar Rocker doesn't have a backup plan from what it sounds like. I think he wanted to sign. Uh, I mm-hmm. I heard, I know you mentioned that he's probably going back to Vanderbilt, was what you said. But actually, I don't think he's going back to Vanderbilt. I think that he's done at Vanderbilt. And uh, okay. I don't know what the reasons for it, but that's what was reported. I think it might have been in Boris's statement. But does he go to independent baseball? Does he work out on the side? Does he go the foreign route like uh, Carter Stewart did, who uh, the Braves drafted right. with the eighth overall pick several years ago and right. didn't sign, uh, and then was eligible for the next draft after going to community college and 
ended up taking a deal to Japan because he was going to fall in that draft. I mean, uh, the Braves uh, apparently did see something. Or is this like a Brady Aiken? He just mm-hmm. kind of worked out on the side, right? I don't think he played anywhere. If he did, it was like a community college somewhere. It wasn't a visible one. Right. So, yeah. Whole thing is so blown up. Uh, you know, uh, I hate that we wasted so much time on our podcast talking about Kumar Rocker and giving a scouting report on him because I was, I mean, we were for certain that he was going to be a, you know, professional player uh, come sure. August 1st. And here we yeah. are, and, you know, a few days into August and he's not a professional player. Yeah, well, it'll certainly be interesting. I mean, I, I only made the Vanderbilt comment just out of, that's what I thought that probably would happen if he go back to school uh, and didn't realize that uh, there, you know, that he might do some other options. So it'll be interesting to to see what happens uh, with that. Like you said, those different options he has, and uh, if if he gets back into uh, being draft eligible or back into the draft, um, kind of where he goes again, um, because of, you know, like with Aiken and some of these other guys that uh, a year or so later. It hasn't always hasn't always worked out. So I can't really. Think of the, uh, and then the funny thing is, Brent, and not really a funny thing, but the sad thing is, I can't remember a guy that it worked out for. You know, we had guys like uh, Binford was one. Uh, oh right. Uh, someone like Luke Hoshaver uh, is another guy that yes, he made it to the major league. Oh but yeah. Wasn't right. the type of guy that we thought he was going to be. So like, there's there's kind of bad bad precedent for this. Uh, and something that's going to make me weary next year when the uh, Rockers in the draft again. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and transition to the trade deadline deal. I think the first thing to really touch on is the amount of movement we saw. For that article, top 20 article, I actually had to rewrite the intro uh, because I wrote it on the 29th, thinking, <laughs> okay, a couple guys might get traded of note and you know, I'll rank them and, and, and do all that later. But then a slew of trades happened. It seemed like everybody and their mother that was available, except for Trevor Story, who <laughs> don't even know was really available. But, you know, Rocky's going to Rocky. Best best organization in the baseball world of not. Were you surprised by how many big names went on the trade deadline? Yeah, for sure. I mean, the... The surprises just sort of kept on coming, and it was like a two or three day thing. You know, it wasn't just the Friday of of the trade deadline day. Um, but, you know, there's rumors kind of started going about Gallo, and then certainly he went. I think that was a mild surprise. Some of the other names sort of stayed put for a day or two, and then Rizzo, you know, Rizzo moved, and the whole Scherzer plus Turner deal went down. And so, uh, absolutely, I was surprised by. Both the big names, uh, major leaguers that went, but also then, you know, how it does did, did seem that uh, teams were a little looser in letting some of their top prospects go. Thinking specifically of uh, Austin Martin gone from gone in the Barrios deal, Pete Crow Armstrong, a high pick from a, a year or so ago, changing addresses. So um, that to me that makes it fun. I mean that GMs were willing to you know, to part with those guys under certain certain circumstances, you know, usually tied to years of control left and, and that kind of thing. But uh, it certainly made for a, uh, you know, an exciting deadline with all these guys moving. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? Well, <laughs> it's funny. When I was writing the article for the top 20 uh, prospects traded, I had forgotten that Andrew Heaney was traded. Like somehow I had totally, like I remember reading it and, <laughs> Yeah, uh, totally missed it. Like I was like, oh yeah, he got traded. Uh, who did he get traded for? And thankfully, it was nobody that I was going to put my in the top twenty anyway. But uh, yeah. and of course, it wasn't anybody going AL to NL since it's two AL teams. But uh, he was he was kind of you know he kind of got lost in the shuffle. Yeah, it was really an exciting several days, and uh, certainly I think a lot of us it was the most movement that we can remember during that time. Uh, it just makes the excitement uh, for the rest of the season better and for the future. There were certainly several clubs that really, you know, really remade their systems from this trade deadline, uh, yeah. which is which is fun, which is really fun to see. And I think this leads us right to the 
the, one of the organizations you cover, uh, one of the biggest deals, actually the most surprising deals during the during the deadline was a late deal that uh, was after the three o'clock hour where uh, sent Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy and uh, Hans Krauss to the Phillies. And, and the big get going the other way was Spencer Howard. There's a lot of things to break down about that deal uh, on, yeah. on our end, but I know that you have covered the Phillies extensively. You are also a Philly fan. And, you know, I kid you about both the Phillies and the Nationals uh, farm systems. We'll, we'll get to the Nationals in a second. But this was a different deal. And this, this really kind of transformed both organizations. You know, Spencer Howard was a top 50 prospect for us this offseason and was a, one of the top right-handers the previous offseason as well. And uh, yeah. Some people have said that the Phillies may have botched uh, his development and botched his introduction into the big league. Do you have any yeah. thoughts about that? Yeah, I'm kind of in that camp. Uh, but, you know, there, there's, kind of, there's also commentary the other way uh, that, that uh, Dave Dombrowski, who this is his first trade deadline with the Phillies, some think that he made out well bringing back, you know, two kind of established uh, you know, an established starter and an established bullpen guy. Gibson, of course, is is uh, under contract for next year, and he'll be part of the that rotation most likely going forward. Uh, Ian Kennedy is is a free agent, but certainly helps their immediate bullpen situation as they're trying to make the playoffs. But with Howard, I, I it's just it's just really uh, interesting and and sort of has been frustrating to watch them. Uh, because, you know, regardless of who, you know, we kind of grew up rooting for and, and, and that sort of thing, it's just it's always great to see, you know, young players come up. Uh, you can see them in the minor leagues. You can see the talent they have. I got a chance to be in person for Spencer Howard's uh, no hitter in the 2018, you know, low A playoffs at Lakewood. Had seen him once before then. But those two, you know, during that season. Uh, just seeing his arsenal, four pitches, uh, the ability to throw hard and kind of maintain that for the for deep into games and just other kind of intangibles. Uh, it's really someone that I marked as, you know, someone that's going to have some success at the major league level for sure, uh, at least as a, as a mid-rotation starter. And because he hadn't pitched a ton, um, you know, only started pitching later uh, in his high school career and and really only pitched at high at a high competitive level uh in college you know he had some sort of sense that his arm didn't have tons of mileage on it this year the Phillies went into the season kind of talking about you know with the pandemic being careful with his innings and they just throughout the year kind of went back and forth with his role um you know should he be a starter then they pulled him back and put him in AAA for a couple of starts. Then they brought him up uh, and said, we're just going to use him in kind of three-inning stints out of the bullpen or, or piggyback him with someone. Then they sent him back down and said, no, we're going to stretch him out as a starter. And, I, you know, and one of the – and it's not totally just on them. I mean, Howard, interestingly, did repeatedly kind of lose velocity after sort of two, you know, two or three innings or one time through the order and uh, where he would come out uh, this year, kind of throwing mid nineties and by the third or so inning uh, was, would be, would be down to uh, 90, 91, 92, 93 and breaking stuff being a lot flatter and not, uh, you know, not as sharp. And so there was some, you know, there was some kind of mystery there as to what was going on. He has had, had had some shoulder issues in the past and so they were uh, worried about that but really the uh yeah just the lack of kind of planning say that we're going to do this one thing uh with this picture we're going to develop him this way we're going to go all in uh on that whether it's having him pitch uh, at the triple a level and get his innings there so that he's prepared when he comes up or whether it's easing him in and on whatever Adam Wainwright sort of way where he's pitching out of the bullpen for several innings this year to keep his pitch count manageable and then kind of letting him go next year. But, but they kind of did a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It seemed like they were changing 
plans uh, a lot with him. And so it, uh, you know, it was really interesting that they felt like uh, they couldn't do any more with him and that he was worth, you know, that those all those years of control uh, that that the Rangers now have, you know, was worth giving up for uh, Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy. You bring up some interesting points with Howard. Uh, as an observer, really, I, I haven't spent much time watching Spencer Howard. I think I saw his major league debut. I think I saw him uh, maybe against the Mets another time. He's he's a guy with all the tools that could contribute. Uh, and I kind of thought that they didn't really manage him properly last season, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, there were some bumps in the road early on. I know he had a, a blister problem, I think. I think he had some shoulder tightness. Yeah. And I think that they just kind of had him push through that. And I wonder if uh, having him push through that has kind of caused maybe some of the some of the issues that you were able to observe this year with him losing velocity during uh, during appearances as the game you know went on. I, I I just think that they were so desperate for a starting pitcher to to perform. They they haven't you know they developed developed Nola, but I don't know how much they actually developed him. He was pretty much a finished product after he came uh, in the draft, but. Um, yeah. You know, the last guy that they really developed from a, from a early on was was a long time ago. I can't even think uh, of another name other than Nola. Uh, so yeah, well, yeah, well, ha- Cole Hamels came up through their system, you know, and gave and that's them. That's been a while. Uh, it's been been bunch of years. Been yeah, a while. no, totally, no, totally. And there's certainly been, you know, as as one that you know watches and writes up their system every year. There certainly uh, have been talented pitchers that I've seen you know, especially in the low minors and you earmark those guys as, and, and you know that not every one of those guys is going to develop into a major league quality starter. But, you know, along the way, you kind of assume that, well, a couple of these guys will be able to help out of the bullpen or I can see, you know, I can see this guy has enough velocity and enough of a, you know, an out pitch off speed pitch to help in the bullpen. And, uh, they just haven't been able to finish those guys off very much uh, at all. And so when you, when you match that with kind of uh, these, how they, how they dealt with Howard, uh, how, for instance, like Adonis Medina, who we talked about uh, several episodes ago, you know, really got stalled at at double A and triple A, how some of these uh, relievers, you know, have just had small shots that haven't really helped. You do, do start to wonder about or you start connecting the dots uh, in yeah. the kind of player development uh, on the pitching side, and I, you know, and for me that the it's not a terrible trade because I do I do have some interest in Hans Kraus, the pitcher, the Double A pitcher that they got back from uh, Texas in yeah. that deal. As I was kind of reacting to that trade, that uh, Kraus's name wasn't in it, and I was like, this is not good at all if we're you know, thinking that it was basically just Howard for uh, Gibson and Kennedy. But when you add Krause's name in there, that that is is getting some, uh, you know, some double A talent yeah. there. Krause was a second round pick a couple years ago. I had seen him at the beginning of 2019, and uh, he started actually on opening night in Lakewood for the uh, Hickory, the low A Texas team at that point. And, uh, you know, he was really an interesting arm, uh, could get it up to mid nineties, 96, 97. Uh, there was a slider there and some change up possibilities had a, at that point had a very funky kind of, uh, lots of moving parts delivery, but even though he had that, uh, really was able to, you know, amazingly kind of, uh, have average command of stuff. Um, and wasn't kind of wild all over the place. Since then, supposedly he's had he had some injury, had an injury issue uh, that knocked out a lot of what was what would have been the 2020 season. And then so far, had come back this year, uh, and really we've gotten had gotten some good have heard some good reports on him that he's clean, that he smoothed out the delivery some. Uh, the secondary stuff has gotten better. So I, I you know it does seem like. Uh, even though there's some reliever risk uh, there that uh, the Phillies do have, uh, you know, some 
some talent coming back uh, at the AA level. The one thing looking into Kraus that I found uh, interesting was he was not just that the slider and the changeup were better pitches. The slider and changeup usage had increased significantly. In some games, he was throwing a slider uh, frequently in the second, third time uh, through the lineup, like more frequently than the fastball. Uh, So this is a guy that's kind of pitching like a veteran more uh, trying to get outs, which is a, you know, an ingredient. It wasn't working with his stuff. Uh, uh, There was some injury issues, of course. So, and as you alluded to, but, you know, I I really believe that Krauss is uh, a solid pickup for them. I had him ranked uh, just inside the top 20. Reason for that is it's, uh, you know, back end type of profile. Uh, I don't really see the mid rotation upside, but like, I'm telling you, it's been a while since the Phillies have developed even a back end guy. So, you know, goes to your point of, uh, you know, this might be a, a good break getting a guy from an, another organization that they've already had their, you know, another team's had their hands in essentially uh, and yeah. not their development staff. I know another player that you saw uh, that was involved in this deal was actually one that went from the Phillies. Uh, to the Rangers, which was Kevin Gowdy. And you saw Gowdy this year, right? Yeah, he they uh, drafted Gowdy in the the uh, second round, the year they took uh, Moniac, one of these sort of things where they then were able to pay uh, Gowdy over slot and were really excited about him. He pretty much ran into arm trouble from the get-go. Uh, I think I might have seen him before his big surgery, and had kind of in the past couple of years uh, with continued injuries popping up had sort of fallen off the, off the Phillies sort of top 30 ish lists and, and all that. But then uh, during the pandemic and, and this spring, there was talk of uh, his velocity coming back uh, up into the low nineties and really developing a splitter that replaced his, you know, just sort of meh change up also throws a, uh, you know, a slider that was inconsistent. So I, I did see him uh, earlier this year. And while it, it didn't wow me, you, you could see some elements there of, uh, well, you know, it's a, a longer road, but, but maybe this will, maybe he'll be one, you know, work into uh, a relief setting like that. Well, that's good. That's good to know. Uh, once again, it's a high draft pick that's not really performing. So uh, we'll yeah. see if the Rangers have a little more luck with the Phillies, uh, Phillies high draft picks. So let's uh, move on to uh, some of these other trades. Uh, I know one of the things uh, that, like we had mentioned before, that stood out to us was the, the Joey Gallo trade. And um, I think it's interesting that uh, the, the package kind of that Texas got back uh, from the Yankees. Uh, for Gallo and, of course, uh, Jolie Rodriguez. Three infielders, uh, Ezekiel Duran, Josh Smith, Trevor Hauer, and then a right-handed pitcher, uh, Glenn Otto. Any of these guys stand out to you, Chris, or what were your impressions of uh, of this trade? Actually, this was a really even deal, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like that the Rangers got good value back for Joey Gallo. My favorite of this, uh, was Ezekiel Duran? He was a guy that he was a guy that really kind of popped up during that offseason for me, talking to different contacts and stuff. Uh, second baseman probably doesn't really fit at second base defensively, but he's going to play second base because that's really the only place you can hide the defense. Doesn't really move well in the infield. Doesn't really react as well. Uh, the hands aren't that great either. Uh, you can obviously imagine this is going to be a bat first contributor. Uh, and what's special about him this year is he's always been a power hitter in a uh, raw power hitter in batting practice. And this year is the first time that we've really been seeing that. And he hasn't lost his ability to pepper line drives across the field. So this is a good power prospect. He's a guy that should help that organization out. It's not the most top heavy organization. And we're not talking about a guy that is probably a top 100 guy, but he's definitely a top 125 guy. And 
you know, who knows how the rest of the season shakes up. He could actually sneak into the top 100. The other two guys, uh, the other two infielders that are uh, of interest is Josh Smith, who uh, came from LSU. This was a guy that coming out of uh, out of college, he had a lot of injury struggles. Uh, and he, he seemingly was injured all the time, but uh, due to hit the ball all over the place. Uh, and the contact bat has actually transitioned the minor league. He's hitting the ball more in the air than he ever did in college, but most of that power is going to be to the pull side. Uh, we're not really seeing loft anywhere else. Uh, however, the added loft has actually improved his exit velocity. So we're probably a little less in that tweener uh, profile bubble than he was before. Uh, he, can, he can play, he can pick it at shortstop. He's an average defender there and could stick there. Most people have him kind of moving around the, the diamond a bit. Uh, he's, I think, starting out in high A for them, or ended his tenure with the Yankees. And then Trevor Halver, who's a 2020 pick out of Arizona State, and uh, another offense-first profile. Um, I actually think that Duran might be a better second baseman. Um, this guy's played everywhere at ASU. I think he was in left field and at second base. Uh, don't quote me. 100% on that. Uh, the the bat pretty much sells out for power, and it's mostly on middle end fastballs. He does have a pretty good eye. But to me, this profile kind of reminds me a lot of Nick Solak. You know, there's the same question whether he's going to, you know, hit enough when he gets to the big league and, and whether he's going to have a defensive position. And then the fourth guy that, that went over, somebody that you saw this year, right, Brent? Uh, Glenn Otto. He was at Double uh, at A Somerset for a a period there and I got to see him in May. Didn't totally stand out from a just a stuff perspective. Uh, was 90-92, could spin the slider a little bit. Didn't miss a lot of uh, bats, the game I saw him. But uh, someone that statistically, uh, you know, has done a lot better, obviously, than the game yeah. that I saw, you know, over what he got, 13 starts here, 80 innings, 80 and two-thirds innings this year. I struck out 120 and walked 20. So that's that's quite a ratio. Um, and I know has has kind of opened some eyes, you know, at that double A level. I believe the off speed stuff is is where uh, I understand he has kind of made the most strides. I mean, I think it's still a again, probably a, a back end starter uh, kind of profile, but someone that no one has, was really talking much about in that Yankee system. You know, this time, well, of course, this time a year ago, but uh, over the past uh, 18 to 20, 24 months, uh, but but since uh, beginning of May here has really made some important strides. And that's one one thing about the Yankees organization is you're going to run into a lot of arms, uh, a lot of yeah. good arms that nobody talks about. And like Glenn Otto is somebody who has always spun the slider well. Uh, his, his spin rates are always pretty good with those pitches. I, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I did see some this offseason. So, like, this is a good pickup. This is a guy that maybe the Yankees organization eventually just ends up in their bullpen. But this is a guy that, with the Rangers organization, that does not have as much uh, quality pitching in that major league uh, rotation, uh, that he could have a chance of uh, possibly sticking there. Another deal that we're going to talk about is the big, uh, the, probably the most surprising deal of the whole deadline, for me at least, was the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner deal to the Dodgers. The Dodgers get richer, uh, and they send a uh, four prospects. Uh, really, it's three prospects. Uh, I'm not really on Donovan Casey, uh, these 26-year-old. I, I just don't see is, uh, anything more than a, up down type of player, but uh, they ended up acquiring three pitchers or three players, yeah. Kiebert Ruiz and Josiah Gray are the two guys that are most known to the prospect audience. But uh, Gerardo Carrillo, uh, a right-handed pitcher in Double A, is the, was the third guy in that deal. And we're going to kind of concentrate on the first two uh, bigger names, Kiebert Ruiz and. Josiah Gray, because both of those guys have 2021 value. You know, Brent, wh what can we expect from those guys in relation to the pennant races? Many of us are, um, and I say many of us, I'm only in one of like my six leagues. I'm only <laughs> in one pennant race. Um, yeah. But 
what can we expect from either of these guys down the stretch? Well, I think uh, you know it's always you know it's always tough with the rookies coming up. Uh, we've seen certainly this year uh, high-profile rookies fail, or and we've seen some of them start really slow. So it's tough to kind of tough to point out which of these guys, which which profile these guys meet. Uh, but Ruiz is someone interesting from the start because of the bat aspect that he brings at the catcher position. Um, we all know that in a fantasy, you know, landscape is kind of tough to find those catchers that hit. And when you do, oftentimes it's more of a power guy, uh, sort of power only that might have some batting average issues that, you know, can affect your team negatively in that way. Ruiz certainly is a, a hitter first and, you know, has been kind of on our radar for a while, had gotten some chances with the Dodgers in 2020, just a, just a few uh, eight at-bats. Uh, but this year at AAA, hit 311 with a 381 on base and a 631 slugging. That's like 16 homers, uh, 18 doubles, really just uh, tearing the cover off the ball. He is still uh, just 23 years old. Certainly for or an organization like, like the Nationals to kind of secure that catcher for the next number of years is certainly a, a win for the organization. And given that he's shown, you know, both hitting ability as far as batting average and uh, increased power this year at AAA uh, certainly makes him interesting, I think, for fantasy. I think in terms of Josiah Gray, uh, we need to, you know, be a little bit more careful there. Um, I think he's interesting, but someone that will likely sort of that might take a little longer to develop to where he's a fantasy asset. Um, he's shown some uh, proclivity to kind of uh, a lot of walks as he's kind of moved up the ladder. He's also, you know, he's made some strides in that area. Um, but I think that that's something uh, that he'll have to specifically pay attention to uh, here as he gets into the majors. I, I think it's someone, have you, you've seen both of these guys back when they were with the Dodgers. Is that right? I saw them both at the complex. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done a lot of study in Ruiz. He was a guy that actually came up through a contact, actually, and said that, like, mm. you know, the dude was the top 20 prospect in their organization, which was was a kind of eye-opening. But if you really think about it, you know, some organizations look for certain things. And uh, Ruiz is a guy with a discerning eye, uh, and it started to really kind of come through this year. He very rarely wings and pitches out of the zone. Uh, he also has excellent hand-eye coordination. So you don't normally see that combination. Usually when a guy has, uh, mm, you know, 70-grade yeah. hand-eye coordination, they're slinging at everything because they believe they can hit at everything. And Ruiz is a guy that feels like he can lay off pitches close and then, you know, anything in the zone, he can, you know, maybe put the bat on. One of the things that he has settled on this year is the O-swing has improved even more and he's sacrifice some poor contact for walks, which is something that we always love to see. Uh, and that power has come. It was something that, like, I got to see Ruiz and uh, Will Smith in the same game prior to both of them coming up. Uh, okay. And, like, Will yeah. Smith was obviously more advanced as a hitter as Ruiz and probably more advanced behind the plate. But, you know, the contact rate that Ruiz was having was the contact rate we very rarely see from a catcher, uh, you know, Doing some research on that, it was like back to Yadier Molina uh, type contact rates. Uh, the only other guy that came really close was JT Realmuto. Like, you know, we're we're naming off guys that have been successful offensive contributors in fantasy. So, right. two guys that hey, you're being comp to uh, that really bodes well for him in the future. Josiah Gray's a guy that like it was basically i think i saw somebody write, wrote it uh somewhere that he was stolen by the red um by the dodgers from the reds i even forget what deal but like he was kind of a throw in and uh you know he's a shorter stature right-handed pitcher that people kind of bit dismissed i guess one of the things that he has that i really like about him is that he uh does throw two breaking pitches with conviction. I like the mid 80 slider a little bit more than, uh, than, than the curve. Actually, I really believe that both of them are the same pitch. I just think he uh, changes his, 
delivery point a little slightly to get a slurve action compared to a true slider. And then also the other thing is supposedly he has an improved changeup, but I have yet to see it. Uh, he seems like a guy who doesn't throw it with conviction. And when I saw him at the complex, he didn't even throw a changeup. Uh, the fact that he is even dabbing in one right now is, is, a, is a good sign. Uh, but like, I look at him as a more mid 2022 um, help for a fantasy roster uh, maybe even yeah. in 2023 it's the guy that um you know i kind of look at as somebody who may fall in favor of other guys and you know may lose his prospect status and he'll be a guy that uh will be at early waiver wire pickup in one of those seasons and ends up being uh being a stud pitcher for me and it's kind of how i view him no it's interesting i mean it, you know we'll have to see as far as i would think it's probably likely uh, given what they've done to the rest of that team, that uh, both Ruiz and Gray are kind of up and playing with the Nationals for the rest of the season, which will kind of uh, take their rookie eligibility away. Um, the third piece is, is you know, also interesting. Uh, Gerardo Carrillo, who's a double A uh, starter right now, kind of with a power kind of two seam fastball. Uh, with some run on it, uh, a tight slider, and and you know kind of battles some lefties with a with a changeup. He started most of his career. Uh, he's a double A, was a double A Tulsa, and will be at double A Harrisburg now. I would assume has had some kind of walk issues a little bit in the in the past, and including this year. So we'll see. It's uh, you know kind of has some reliever profile characteristics. But uh, you know, have, he'll have a little bit of time, certainly a double A, to kind of uh, to change that narrative and see if he can become uh, a starter. I, I'm just I'm looking forward to seeing Carrillo in relief, just because I think that fastball, the heavy sinker, it's essentially heavy sinker, uh, will play at a at a very high velocity. I, I know he's a shorter statue guy, but when I, whenever I think of a guy that is like that has some command control issues it's not a true comp but i always think of jerry's familia because yeah. uh, you know you see that profile and whether it's short it's, it's a big guy like familia or a you know shorter stature guy like carrillo you know you instantly go to thinking all right how is this going to work in late relief and uh yeah. that's that's yeah. how i see him and and that's uh you know i tuned into a game earlier this year where where he threw and i was uh, I wasn't really watching him. I was watching the other team, but you know, I, I just thought, okay, this kid has something here. Finding a closer, potential closer in a deal as the third piece of a deal is is something something tremendous. Again, the Dodgers have a lot of guys like that in their system. I mean, uh, Carrillo wasn't even the sixth or seventh best pitcher, but he may be the well third best pitcher in the in the Nationals organization. Yeah, another team that uh, sold off a good number of pieces uh, is the Chicago Cubs. And um, I was curious what uh, your thoughts were on their return. I really like the return of two trades in particular. Getting Pete Crow Armstrong in the Baez-Williams deal was a, was a big game changer for me. You know, getting a first-round pick from last year's draft is always something to kind of talk about but you know Crow Armstrong looked good prior to a injury which resulted in surgery to his non-throwing shoulder and and got hurt sliding but his best skill is actually not a fantasy skill unless you're in a certain format that counts defensive staff he's a terrific center fielder he has a fringe plus I guess uh, you know not quite plus uh, speed but his reactions are tremendous in, in center field, and he'll definitely stick there. He has a very simple, compact swing from the left side. Uh, one of the things that he hasn't done that I believe I've seen him do um, uh, through the videos that I've been smuggled uh, from others uh, <laughs> is uh, I think that he has this uh, – people are like, well, he doesn't really drive the ball. He, he's a contact spray hitter. But, like, I, I think the reason why he ended up – Drafted 20th overall or 21st, I forget exactly where the Mets took him. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that he was driving the ball in the few outings in 2009, 2020 that we were able to see him in. Uh, you know, California preps had just gotten started when things got uh, shut down for the season, but 
you know, the, the scouts that were there uh, remarked about how hard he was hitting the ball. And I, I believe it kind of continued when he, when he uh, was in the instructional league this year with the Mets. So like, this is not a guy that, you know, he's being knocked for not hitting the ball hard. Yeah, the, the power will come and, uh, you know, he'll hit more, uh, hit more pitches with force uh, later on. But I, I fully believe that, like, you know, this is a, t- a potentially top 100 prospect that they got. But although he's hurt, may still, like, you know, linger on somebody's top 100 list. The other big name that they got was in the uh, Anthony Rizzo deal, which was a phenomenal deal. Um, by both teams, by the Yankees and uh, by the Cubs, was Kevin Alcantara, who's uh, was one of the top international signings a few years ago. Kid looks the part of a slugger. Um, he's listed 6'6", 205. He's uh, plus speed, very long limbs, uh, kind of gallops in the in center field. Uh, he's a center fielder, and he's not bad out there. Route running could could use some improvement, but like he could. You know, theoretically, fill center field um, in the major leagues. Uh, the Cubs might have their um, Aaron Judge, uh, you know, especially with Alcantara being listed 6'6 yeah. and uh, Judge being 6'7. Like, this is the type of athlete he is. He's shown a, pre- um, a power swing so far uh, and very limited action at the complex in Tampa. The swings that I saw from the complex this year, they weren't swings from a guy that, that is completely selling out for power. Yes, there is some um, some issues because of the longer limbs that he is, uh, you know, taking a longer swing, but he is generating enough bat, bat speed and he is getting his hands to the hitting position to adjust or to react to pitches. So, like, we're not talking about a guy that's just power only. This is a guy that has a chance to you know, really hit for average as well, possibly. Uh, but he's a long ways away. He is at the Arizona complex. He probably doesn't make his full season debut until next season. More power to the Cubs. This is the second deal this calendar year, I believe. I think the first one, well, within the last 12 months, I should say, was the U Darvish deal uh, where they got a uh, complex, uh, got some guys from the complex as the return and the deal. Uh, we're seeing less and less of that as as headliners or as secondary guys ever since uh, Fernando Tatis uh, was traded for Shield. Yeah. That White Sox pod, yeah, James Shield in that White Sox Padres deal. Most teams are now investing in a complex scout, both Florida and in Arizona. And there's just less opportunity and, and teams are just holding on to these guys because they don't want to be the next team that gives up on Tatis. Uh, on a Tatis-like mm-hmm. product. Kudos to the Cubs uh, for acquiring a top talent that, you know, their scouting department's got to do a little dreaming on. Speaking of uh, Yankees prospects, well, I mean, this was a former Yankee prospect. We'll move on to our live look segment. I actually wasn't at any ball games last week. The weather was so bad and the return on investment was so low that I just could mm-hmm. not see myself standing in uh, heat index or sitting in a heat index of 103 uh, degrees and watching uh, some Astros prospects. So I actually scouted those guys from the television set. Not really anything to really bring to this this podcast, but will be something I talk about during their organizational report during the offseason. You got to see a Yankees uh, got to see a Yankees prospect, a guy that I've seen before, and a guy that you saw at the Futures game, uh, Luis Medina. Yeah. Would you like to talk a little bit about uh, Medina? Sure. It was interesting. Uh, yeah, I was in a double-A uh, game up in uh, Reading on Saturday night. And uh, because of all of what was going on Friday and didn't really didn't really know who was uh, pitching. But when I got there, realized that uh, Medina was on turn. He came in the second after Peralta easily set down <laughs> three batters in the first. Yeah, it was my first time up close in watching him. Now, I certainly saw the inning or so he pitched at the Futures game, um, but was it uh, in the press box at that point, not uh, kind of behind home plate as I was at Reading. And uh, he's certainly, you know, certainly a guy that looks the part, has a loose arm, uh, delivery is really athletic, strong, lower half, you know, uses, seems to use that well, looks the part kind of a of an MLB starter. 
you know, right from the get-go, started out uh, 96 and 98, topping out 99 with the fastball, um, and really held that throughout his inning, which ended up being uh, four innings plus. Interestingly enough, and, you know, we've talked about this with a couple other guys, uh, you know, there wasn't the swing and miss that he was getting from the opposing team wasn't kind of as much as what you would think. And, and batters were getting fairly good, good wood on the fastball. Six of the eight hits that he gave up were on the fastball. They weren't always, you know, pulling it obviously, but the, the contact was solid from these double A hitters. And it, uh, you know, just, just, uh, gets you thinking about, you know, we, we talk about the velocity going up in the game and, and how, there are more guys throwing 95 plus. I think, you know, sometimes what we forget is these hitters are more familiar with that as well and are, and are seeing that uh, velocity and sometimes making adjustments and being able to get some decent contact on there. His secondaries, uh, the, the curveball was 80 to 84. Uh, he got six swings and misses with it. And it was really, uh, there was, it, it was inconsistent overall. There were some really good ones. Um, you know, that moves late, uh, that, that kind of, you know, came in uh, looking like the fastball and then dove out of the zone. Uh, but there were some others that were, you know, fairly flat where he didn't get on top of it, you know, and, and were not really competitive pitches. Then he threw also about a quarter of his pitches where uh, a changeup, which was very firm, was coming in at uh, 89, 91 didn't really move that much uh it was it was fairly straight obviously something that he didn't really have a feel for as i said he got hit around a little bit uh eight hits two earned runs had two walks um and just three strikeouts and you know kind of putting it all together it, it is a little bit difficult to see a starter's profile when you uh break down uh you know kind of his arsenal there um, you know, you do get taken into by the velocity because it is, you know, it comes out easy. It doesn't have a lot of effort to it. Um, he continually snaps off these high 90 readings on the gun. But again, it's not, you know, there were some swing and misses when he would get it up in the zone uh, for guys. But again, you know, there was other times where there was some decent contact on it. You know, my hunch is that major league hitters will be able to adjust to that, adjust to this and kind of wallop the the firm change up and be able to uh discern when the curveball is coming we saw it in the futures game too where he had a couple strikeouts but also a walk and gave up a couple hits uh had a couple hard outs but there he was you know kind of 98 to 100 sort of ramping up for the one inning that he knew he had if anything i think that that's probably his role in relief i would certainly like to see more of a, I would like to see that curveball be something more that he could trust and really could snap off good ones every time. Uh, if that's the case, I think there's a, a chance for kind of a late inning kind of impact saves arm. But otherwise, I, I don't see, you know, there's not a whole lot of middle ground there. I'm not sure that, like I said, um, and I'll be interested in, in your take on this too, as to whether uh, he can put it all together for, uh, you know, as a starting pitcher. It's amazing. But I was just thinking about how many times we've covered Luis Medina as a prospect. Uh, uh, Tanner Smith, uh, during his uh, internship with baseball, he's a oh, yeah. writer. Uh, he actually, I think his first article was about Luis Medina, if I'm not, um, if I might be mistaken, but I know he did a, article on him. I covered him. You've covered him. We can't get uh, Rob and Jeremy to cover him because he hasn't been traded to a Midwest team yet. (laughs) (laughs) But like we've, we've probably covered Luis Medina as much as anyone with uh, our content through the years. And other than the part that you wrote decent control or that you said in, in our notes here, you said decent control here, 33% ball rate on the fastball. Other than that, nothing has really changed yeah. since I saw him in the Appalachian League. And, uh, you know, that was in 2018. Or uh, I think I also, like, maybe saw him in 2017 and didn't write about him. It's always been this illusion that Luis Medina is a top pitching prospect. And 
looking at what I saw during the future game and then hearing what you've said about this game, uh, this does not seem like a major league starter. And I have serious questions whether this guy's even a back-end reliever. Yes, yeah. the curveball, uh, and there's plenty of gifts from, I believe, the Dominican League, uh, Dominican Winter League of uh, oh, yeah. curveballs that he just dropped on guys. But you also yeah. know in those curveballs, he, he's also curling his, his, his wrist. Like, I can mm-hmm. see when he's going to throw a good curveball when I'm behind home plate because he curls his wrist. Do I believe this guy is going to get to the major league? Yes. A potential rating grade, I'm going to be responsible for one during the offseason. Still remains the hardest guy to throw one on there because of, um, you know, seeing that curveball, even though he's cheating with it. And, you know, if he eventually kind of figures out that he doesn't need to curl his wrist, it could be a really devastating pitch. Mix that with a fastball that he commands a little better, maybe at a little bit lower velocity band. Um, yeah. reaching back for maybe 99s and 100s occasionally. Uh, you know, this could work in late relief. Uh, but like right now, I'm, I'm probably, if I was working for a team and turning him into the organization, he's a middle reliever at best for me. Uh, a yeah. roll four guy, maybe even a roll three. Yeah. I mean, I, t- I, I, that's, that's my take too. Uh, after seeing him and the, and again, it's a guy when you, when he first walks out there, and he's going through, uh, you know, his first warmups. It's like you want to like the guy. You want it. You want to latch on to all of all of what he looks like he has. Uh, but then, you know, when when I put it all together, saw the whole game, kind of on the drive home or whatever, and processing all of it, it's like I, I'm not sure where. I'm not sure how it happens that he is able to. You know, again, he's a double A now that he's able to kind of put that together as a as a starting pitcher uh and like you said it, it's hard to know uh what he's going to pair and what he can trust and pair with the fastball uh if he's going to be kind of like a two-pitch reliever i mean there's there's certainly time to do that and you know maybe he'll be a guy that bounces around a couple organizations because there'll certainly be organizations that will give him a chance i mean we're projecting forward obviously it's not uh, a for sure sort of thing but you could sort of see that happening and uh you know maybe at some point He's able to uh, develop another pitch, yeah. but uh, yeah, I think I think right now it's not a uh, not a high, you know, not not a guy that I'm yeah. certainly seeking to uh, get on my fantasy roster at all costs. At a, a guy that I'm hoping to see when I'm in Tampa is a kid named uh, Matt Farrer, who was mm-hmm. a second round pick in 2017. He's had some injury issues and still in low A, but give me him every day over over Medina, even though he's struggling. He is like a four ERA in low A. Uh because I think that the guy as a reliever would be a better pitcher than Luis Medina. Yeah, I mean just one last thought too, uh, is that he was opposed by uh a Phillies right hander named uh Noah Skiro, who was a uh, a college guy, uh, a non drafted free agent last year. And he was, you know, he was ninety ninety one uh, but was throwing four pitches, uh, you know, had a slider that was okay, um, but had a, had a changeup and a curveball uh, that he would bring out once in a while. Wasn't a world beater, but like, you know, at least the first time through the lineup, I mean, handled it pretty well. And, you know, you put his raw stuff up against uh, Medina and there's no, there's no comparison. I mean, Medina has the stuff and the, the the wow pitch a couple times in that big curveball uh, that Skiro doesn't, but there was a way that Skiro was uh, at least for a short stint there able to like command his pitches and kind of move it around enough and keep guys off the barrel. Now, granted, later on, like the second and third time through, <laughs> I mean they they hit him hard, right? But like you could make a case for 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 Skiro actually you know, if he made a couple adjustments, actually might make more starts at the major league level than Medina. I mean, it's, you know, it's out there and it's all, I mean, we're yeah. all speculating, but it's the, it's the type of thing that you're talking about too, um, uh, with, uh, the picture that you were talking about in the hour, uh, with that. Yeah. Um, where this, you know, obviously a different, a different type of thrower, but one that actually 
in some ways could have more success uh, than someone like Medina. Yeah, I can probably name 20 to 25 Yankee uh, pitching <laughs> prospects. Uh, granted, it might not be 20 to 25 now that they traded away Vizcaino and Otto, uh, yeah. but like there's there's so many guys that I can think of that like I take over him. I don't know why JP Sears' name just came up in my head, but like that that's another guy I would take mm-hmm. over him. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, you know, moving on to the next uh, segment, which is our upcoming schedule. Uh, for me, it's going to be a relatively easy week. Uh, one of my favorite teams, uh, or not my favorite teams, comes to town. Uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas, which is the Angels AA affiliate, who I seemingly talk about every other broadcast because they seem to be in my area once again. Uh, but I actually might try to see them this week because they have a new prospect, another former Yankees prospect that uh, they just acquired in the Andrew Heaney deal. A guy that I probably would have taken over um, Luis Medina, and that's Jansen Junk. Um, so uh, I'm going to try to catch him or and maybe catch both of them at the same time. Reds prospect Graham Ashcraft, um, uh, a guy that has done really well this year, mixing his pitches. I, I believe there's been a velocity increase with him. He had a long scoreless streak of almost 40 innings, I believe. Two pretty decent pickups, but probably – not something that you would be uh, uh, tuning in to listen about on the podcast. So I'm going to probably end up hanging out on MILB TV action this week. Hopefully get to go see some uh, high A Central or low A West clubs. High A Central has a few good feeds. Low A West has a few good prospects. I want to actually finish my look at Ezekiel Tovar from the Rockies organization. Oh, yeah. I I hinted at in previous um, episodes giving you a guy that's under the radar uh, that's really going to possibly be a top 100 guy. I I have him in my top 100. I think I ranked him top 50 in my my, uh, midseason ranking. But he's really the Rockies' second best prospect behind Zach Veen and somebody that uh, I like to go further in depth about. That's probably where one of my articles next week will go, uh, since I have to fill two articles next week with content, and I don't think either Junk or Ashcraft will do that for me. So uh, how are you? Uh, what, what are you up to this week, Brent? Do you have anything planned? Uh, yeah, I believe on Wednesday I'm going to go to Jersey Shore for some high A. Uh, action down there and hoping to see Philly's left-hander Eric Miller. He was a fourth rounder out of Stanford several years ago, sort of popped up right before draft season, uh, throwing a bit harder th- than what he had kind of up in the in the mid-90s. It's, it's vacillated a little bit. Since then, he's had a little bit of injuries, uh, but he's a big guy, 6'5", 240, uh, and I haven't have yet to see him uh, live, so I'm going to uh, see yeah. him on Wednesday, I believe, against uh, the Aberdeen club, who has, uh, you know, I've seen a bunch of times and have some interesting guys maybe uh, that we can pull out um, a name or two to talk about next week there. Yeah. And, possi- and possibly over the weekend, uh, might head down to Wilmington to see uh, Bowling Green, which is in town again. And I know you covered them well, but I wanted to check out uh, a couple of those yeah, you went you went to go check them out this last week, and uh, uh, what happened to me one time? Their two top prospects were on yeah. the bench, correct? Yes, didn't play. Uh, I saw. I was hoping to see uh, shortstop Greg Jones, and he. I got to see him play shortstop one half inning when uh, when one of the other players got thrown out of the game <laughs> at the very end. Uh, <laughs> so, but I would like to. Uh, I would like to. Uh, check out them again and uh, should be able to do that over the weekend. Anyway, uh, seems like a big episode we had, but it's uh, time to wrap it up. Um, As always, thanks for checking out this episode of The Eyes Have It. You can contact us uh, via email at theeyeshaveit at baseballhq.com or reach out to us on Twitter. We'd love to hear uh, from you, if you have any feedback or reader questions or suggestions as far as who you'd like to hear about. On Twitter, Chris is at C underscore blessing. You can find me at Brent HQ. Thanks for subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts and the other pod catchers. And uh, if you get the chance, 
please uh, leave us a positive uh, review and rate us highly so other people can find us. I think that'll do it for this week. Chris, we will talk again on episode 13. Yes, lucky number 13 or the Baker's Dozen episode, which will be next week. I hope everybody has a good week and we'll see you later.